Welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, a podcast that talks about everything the root description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. We're talking avalanche safety today. Joining the podcast first is walk mode, Patrick. One day I'll be ski mode, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick did walk mode in the Emma shoots this year, uh, last year and uh, in walk mode and struggled. <laughs> Got to the bottom. He's like, my legs are so cramped. What? That was the worst descent of my life. And he's like, you guys will never guess this. I was in walk mode the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we call that experiential learning no worries at all. Yeah. <laughs> and that ended i'll never do that again i promise <laughs> we also got jacer jack how's it going everybody i'm short rope and our guest today is justin ibarra um man where do i even start justin is one of the most respected voices in the Colorado backcountry community. Um, he's got the best mustache west of the Continental Divide. Just... Um, <laughs> I even heard him referred in some county as the best stash in the county. Um, he's a Colorado native, splitboard and raft guide, as well as one of the most sought after avalanche educa- educators in the state. Uh, he's the snow safety director at, uh, and, and guide for Colorado Adventure Guides. He's the founder of Colorado Snowboard Guides. He's guided all over the world, including Kyrgyzstan, um, but he currently operates and resides in Summit County, where he has an intimate relationship with the surrounding peaks. I actually had the pleasure of taking my Area 2 with Justin a couple years back, and I can say he's hands down one of the best in the business. So we're stoked to have him on today. Thanks, Justin. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you guys very much for having me and stoked to be on board here um, and just super stoked for what you guys are doing. So yeah, thanks again for having me. So I'm curious, how's the season been for you so far with COVID and everything? Are you staying busy with the, the guiding stuff? How's that going? Yeah, I know it's been um, very busy, actually, which is good for a business standpoint. And I, from all aspects, I guess, it's, it's really good. So, yeah, we've definitely seen the busiest winter we've seen so far, which is great. From avalanche education to guided tours to even just as simple as like snowshoeing more people just getting outside of their resort and getting into the backcountry, you know, trying to do their best to get away from people with COVID and everything in mind. So we're definitely in a good industry with the times that we're in right now. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. It's been really good. Awesome. That's awesome. Cause I know there for a little while, it was kind of slow across the board for not just you, but guides in general and the whole industry back about this time last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing the last year is once COVID came around, you know, it was earlier in the year of 2020, we first started seeing the the name COVID and, and on the news and so forth. And it was kind of crazy. I didn't ever think that it would get to the point that it ever did. But we, you know, as with most outfitters and everybody kind of around at least the country, you know, they had to kind of shut their work down. So we actually had to cancel all of our courses. I think it was after the first week of March. So all of March, all of April, we were down all of May, we were down. We really weren't able to open back up our operation until June one in all reality. And it started out kind of slow, but you know, with, so with winter stuff in mind, I think we had to cancel about five of our avalanche courses and, some other mountaineering courses and then just guided tours along those lines. So it was a huge hit to our company and a huge bummer to people who were out there seeking education. But that kind of dovetailed into a busy winter for us now with the 2020, 2021 season. 
you know, a lot of those people who weren't able to get educated the last couple months of the season last year, we already had booked coming into this year. So that was a huge plus. And then just the influx of the people getting into the backcountry now, on top of that, just, you know, added to the amount of people we were able to, or we were, we've been trying to get into these courses. So it's, uh, no, it's been great, man. It's been really good. People out there getting educated and from a business standpoint, we're actually starting to catch up now from everything that we lost last year. So it's all kind of starting to finally come around, which is good. That's awesome. It almost seems like there was a backlog, like all the people that couldn't take their stuff last, last spring, put it off till this year. And now you're seeing all that come full circle. I was just going to ask a little bit later, but this is a good time to talk about it. I mean, it's, there's undoubtedly an increase of, of usage in the backcountry, and that combined with, you know, a kind of a touchy snowpack this year. What do you make of that? I know there's kind of two sides to that argument of it being a great thing, seeing people get out kind of a scary thing. What's your take on the, the uptick in backcountry activity this year? It's been a bad year, as we all know, I mean, a grim year in the sense of the number of fatalities that we've seen. I mean, what are we up to now? I think it's like, as far as the country is in mind, 32, I think, fatalities we've had this year. Yeah. 11, I think, in Colorado we've had. Seven in February, if I remember correctly. And most, and I think actually most of it's been here in February. So anyways, I, you know, I haven't been following a whole lot outside the state. I've been reading as much as I can, but from the fatalities that we've had in state, most of them have been experienced users. So that's also been a pretty big eye opener. You know, a lot of people coming into this season thinking that with the influx of new years, new, new users coming into the backcountry that we would see a lot of fatalities on that side of the coin when that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing experienced users being caught. So that's a big eye opener. But, you know, so with the influx of the people in the backcountry, I've, I mean, personally, I've seen it a little bit at trailheads. We're seeing it as far as people being educated. But the statistics are showing at least that it's not those people who are getting caught right now. It's the experienced users who are kind of letting their guard down and finding themselves in trouble. So I think for me, that's been a kind of big eye opener because I, I would have, you know, similar to most thought that we would have seen more new users. And especially with this kind of snowpack that we're in right now, getting caught and it's, it's the experienced users. And so... Do you, do you attribute that to, I've heard kind of a handful of different theories. The one that I kind of think makes the most sense is that with all the, the uptick in numbers in the zones of, you know, birth of past Jones pass, it's pushing all the experienced users out of their normal zones and up higher and kind of testing new zones that they may not be as familiar with and kind of exploring new terrain and new zones. Or what do you, what do you attribute that to? That's, that's a great question. And I haven't heard that and it, you know, it would make sense, but it seems to me as if the, the fatalities that we've had is the users have been in areas that they've been familiar with. So not really stepping out into new areas, but just kind of letting their guard down. And, you know, we see these persistent problems in Colorado every year. And I've had this question a lot in, in avalanche courses of what makes this year different. And of course, yeah, we've had a, we have a lot more people out there, but again, it's, it seems to be people who have 
been out there already, like experienced users getting caught, things are breaking a little wider and bigger than anticipated. You know, that East Vale incident we had a few weeks ago, that spot where that gentleman stopped, it's a very common area that people regroup at. And, you know, it's just people are kind of letting their guards down. And even the forecasters are doing a good job of just kind of letting people know that, hey, what you what had may have been safe in the past, it may not be safe this year. Things are going to break kind of wider and, and, and bigger than typical seasons. And way, what might have led to that, you know, could have been a, a factor is that we've, we didn't have a whole lot of snow, right, until February came. And so with that shallow snowpack and that cold temperature, it, you know, it lends to a high temperature gradient. So the snowpack rocks, turns facet, and then now February comes in and it starts dumping a whole bunch of snow on top of that. And so I think that's a contributing factor on why February has been such a bad month. It's just because now we finally started getting snow and it's piling on top of all those weak layers and, and it's just going big. So I think it's just, I think for me, it's people just kind of letting their guard down. So you think that, you know, when, when it comes to decision-making time, and, you know, everybody's got this powder fever because it's been, they've just been deprived of getting out and having those, those thick lines. And, and you think that they're, they're just finding normal on a normal year, maybe they would look at it and say, Hey, you know what, let's not do that line. Let's not hit that zone today. And they're just saying, you know what, I've done it before. Let's, let's go for it. Like they've just somehow gotten to that. Yes. And so what do you, what do you say to, you know, to people being, you know, a, a very respected voice in that community and, and with the education that you have and what you're teaching people, when, when you see people where that, that human element kicks in, how do you, how do, what do you tell people to say, you know, when you feel that human element of, I got to get out and ski powder and I'm used to do, doing this and, you know, this, this slope is, it's sub 30, except for maybe a few convexities or whatever, you know, what's, what's your message to those individuals to try to get them to rethink how they got to that yes and maybe it shouldn't be a yes that's that's a great question patrick and i think that's it can be somewhat of a tough one but the mind can hurt us as much as it can help us and i think that's one of the biggest things that i personally try and make sure i understand every day i'm out and um the, the team understands and what i try and teach and so i think a lot of that is teamwork you know working together and communicating amongst the team to what you see what you feel what you hear you know, understanding that we all have these little innate feelings, little spidey senses that sometimes we really can't explain. And if we have those, we need to speak up to what we see and, and again, what we're feeling. And really just respecting Mother Nature and snowpack, I think, is the big message I've been trying to portray. There's always a time, there's always a place. And doing your best to always make observations to dictate the terrain you're traveling into is in line with the hazard for the day um, and never letting your guard down. And so really just developing these processes from the beginning to the end that were making good decisions. So from the, from the beginning of the day, from the tour plan, you know, looking at the forecast, checking the forecast, what is it showing us? Not just the danger rating, the color really, for me, does not, dictate my decision just what avalanche problem am I likely to encounter for the day where is it what's the likelihood what's the size and then developing your tour around that as 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 well as what your goals are for the day and for me personally it's just I think maybe I got away with too much in my 
younger career that I feel like it's just way easier to dial back. And so in the winter, me personally, it's like, I'm really not, it's not too often that I'm getting above 30 degrees. And, you know, when I'm going out with people, it's, we're all kind of on the same page. There's always a time and a place. And so there may have been times in the past where there could have been windows and there has been windows, you know, where personally my, I've got after steep terrain here in Colorado in a persistent slab winter, it was small windows. And I think again, now it's just, I think I've gotten away too much with it. So I dial it back a little bit and I try and portray that to, to students and so forth to just res respect mother nature. You know, there's always a time and a place. And do you really want to thread the needle? You know, do you want to, do you want to get to that red and yellow line? Um, are those three, four turns worth it? Or could you have waited two months and, you know, been way well, way well away from that line and skied it, you know, under better conditions and, you know, if you wanted to use the word safe under safer conditions. So anyways, I guess circling back with kind of that mindset is just maybe going into, go into that, go into the day with the mindset. If you were trying to get into avalanche terrain with the mindset, that, yeah, I'm probably not going to get that fine ski. And that way it's much easier for you to make those decisions to turn around. But again, the mind can hurt us as much as it can help us. And so if you go into it with the mindset, and I think this is a big one for me that, to help me is just going in with the mindset again that I'm probably not going to ski it. And so it's much easier for you to make those observations and accept those observations telling you that it's a, you shouldn't be skiing it. Because if you go into it with the mindset of like, hell yeah, I'm skiing that line, right? Like I've been wanting to ski this zone for the past month and this is the day that I have off and this is the day that I got the group together and we're going to go ski it. And it's going to be really hard for you to make that turnaround call your mind is just going to start ignoring all of these signs telling you, Hey, you probably shouldn't be skiing here today. So that little crack or a wump, you're going to acknowledge it. You're not going to be like, Oh, it's only happened right here because we're down below tree line and this little spot right here, it's not going to happen over there sort of thing. And so just understanding the power of the mindset, working together with your team and, and trusting the process from beginning to end. What's the hazard? What's our goals to the day? And our terrain is dictated by those. And that's the way it goes, right? We're not going to choose the terrain and then choose my group and then make sure, and then hopefully the hazards align. I get my group together. What are we going to go do for the day? What's the weather and avalanche forecast? And then the terrain will be dictated by that. So I have a, I have a question for you, kind of building off of that, talking about goals for the day. You know, all of us here are split borders and backcountry skiers. So during the winter and spring, our objectives are ski related first and foremost, but a large part of our audience are hikers and climbers. And that includes the winter as well. So what would you say for somebody who exclusively hikes in the winter, or maybe doesn't participate in backcountry skiing is avalanche education as important. And are they looking at it through the same lens as a, as a skier and a split border? Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, it's equally as important. You're in the, you're in the mountains in a winter environment where avalanches happen. And so you need to be just as in tune as if the backcountry skier is you're going into the same type of terrain. And so from that mindset, maybe you're, so from a skier mindset, it's like, okay, maybe we're going to go ski um, the fluffy bunny trees. If we don't ski the fluffy bunny trees, we're going to go ski the chicken McNugget trees. And if we don't ski the chicken McNugget trees, we're going to go ski 
the Elmo trees, right? And so we have these different options, whereas like a, maybe a 14-year or a, a Mountaineer mindset is you're more goal-oriented. So it's like, this is where we're going. There's really no other options. Your only other option is to turn around. But you need to have that option. And you need to be okay with turning around. The mountains are always going to be there. And so if they're saying, again, you just, similar to skiing, you got to make observations. you got to use that cool little neck feature you got to observe. Keep your head in a swivel. What am I seeing out there? If the mountains are telling me today is not the day, then today is not the day. Turn around, go home. And I think that may be the big difference between a, a hiker, mountaineer mindset versus a skier. Because in the skier, we again, we tend to have maybe more options to ski versus the hiker mindset of like, right, I'm going to go summit this peak or I'm going to go climb this ridge. Hmm. And so you just need to be okay with turning around. So how important is it for somebody that I guess this could be for anybody for hikers or skiers, how important is the education piece versus just pure experience? Um, and I'm, I may be asking a biased source because you make your living as an educator, but <laughs> what's the, what's the balance there? You know, I think they're, I think they are equally as important. I'm not going to lie, but I think you need both. So I'm, I, it's, it's, I don't really think that one is, better than the other really i think that they can all play off they can both play off of each other um and so maybe somebody who has a lot of experience i think that that formal education is still going to be great for them and people who have the education they need experience to go hand in hand with that so i think they play off of each other just like just like i mentioned somebody who maybe doesn't have that experience they're going to hopefully start with the education and that experience will play off of that and then maybe somebody who has had that experience, and I'm sure with that experience, they probably had mentors who showed and helped them along the way who maybe had their own education route or something along those lines. But I think it's still very important to get that education and at the very least formalize it. And we have a lot of people taking these courses who have had a good amount of experience and they may have even had formal education 10, 15 years ago. And uh, they come into the class and stuff has changed, you know, even, you know, us who probably have are on this call, our first education may have been a while ago and stuff has changed. I can remember my first avalanche education. And I guess that was, you know, I think 16, 17 years ago. And it's, it's changed drastically from what we're teaching now. There's still some of the same similar components, of course, but it's changed. And so even people who now have taken their course within the past five years, hopefully they're going to continue that education, you know, maybe in another handful of years. Because stuff, stuff's changing. We're all learning and things are improving. It's such a dynamic environment that it's, you know, we're always learning. Why is it, I mean, like chemistry is chemistry and physics is physics. And why, isn't, why doesn't Newton know exactly what you know? Like, why are we learning so much more? Like, snow hasn't changed, right? Like, why is it, why are we suddenly suddenly learning new stuff in 2021? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> and I don't even know if I can fully explain that one. Um, the, the snow science is really, it gets really very complex. When you start going into like fracture character and fracture dynamics and so forth, it's, it's even above my head. Um, you know, people are getting master's degree in snow science and still 
you know, not fully comprehending the science behind it and how snow relates to avalanches. Just do this. Google uh, anti-crack theory and your head will explode or buy, get, the, <laughs> get, get the book, The Avalanche Handbook, and you'll, this will happen. But it's, it's, it's crazy. It really is. And that's, and again, I wish it was something that, that I could explain, but the, the snow science and the fracture characters and dynamics and so forth are. When you say experience, like, so like the Malcolm Gladwell has that book blink. Like when you have like experts who are like marriage counselors, they can't tell you exactly what they're looking for, but they can tell you whether that couple is going to succeed or not. Or like the professional, like uh, tennis player knows whether that serve is going to be good or not by just, he can't tell you what he's looking for, but he knows whether it's good or not. Is that the same thing with like experience in avalanches? Like, are you, or is there strict rules you can follow that can help an amateur out, whether it's weather or snow or facets or wind or? I, I think that's a great question. I think in, in simplest terms, it's just looking at the layering of the snowpack. And again, you don't have to get super complex with it. It's like, what kind of layering am I looking like? Are we dealing with strong over weak? Or are we not? And so it's like people are just like, they get super, they try and get really complex with it. And I think in simplest terms, that's what you're looking for. What kind of layering am I looking at in the snowpack? Am I seeing strong layers over weak layers? Are we dealing with persistently weak layers? Or am I a strong snowpack from the ground up? It's right. It's like people get super into like I need to dig a snow pit every time I'm out there and you really don't it's just like look at the forecast and look at past observations and what kind of layering we're looking at in the snowpack and most of the winter in Colorado we have persistent weak layers we have strong over weak and it's the, the avalanche problem that's it's one of the danger more dangerous ones right there's nine of them out there and of the nine persistent slab is one of the hardest to manage and the most destructive. We might, we might not see signs of instability. We might not see cracking or wanting. We might not see avalanches, but we're still seeing that stratigraphy of the snowpack. The danger is there. So for me, that's enough to just control the terrain I'm in and don't go into avalanche terrain. And I think, again, that, that's maybe it right there is you don't have to get super complex with it. What's my layering? Do I have weak over strong or am I strong over weak? I think there's a, <clears throat> a really big opportunity to nerd out on it, which is awesome. But I, my biggest takeaway from my avalanche courses, one of which was with you, was not necessarily getting really good with snow profiles. Like that's something I'm familiar with. But there are so many people, especially in Colorado, where we have some of the best forecasters in the world who are so much better leagues better than me at this so why wouldn't i just get really really good at interpreting the forecast and the data that they have and then put together a tour plan that abides by that and sticking to it that was like my biggest takeaway it was like get really good at reading the forecast build a plan and stick to it is that kind of like that was my distilled down version of like the two courses i i think that's i mean now that hits it very well and then maybe just to add on to that is never let your guard down no in the field continually make observations. So for example, today, if you look at the forecast in Colorado in the Vail Summit County area, you would see that it we don't have a persistent slab forecasted on a west aspect right now. 
So if I were to develop my tour plan to go ski on a west aspect, just because the forecast doesn't show it there doesn't mean I'm going to that I'm not going to encounter it. Um, the likelihood might not be as high, but you just need to verify in the field. I think the forecast is great and the forecasters do a good job, but I do think it's important to understand that, you know, especially when we're thinking about from a Colorado standpoint, we have a handful of plus of different zones in the state and there are one or two forecasters per zone. And so while they can develop a pretty good forecast, it cannot be your end all decision-making tool. We don't want to ever let our guard down. We want to always, again, make those observations in the field to either verify or dismantle what the forecast is showing us. And so with that being said, again, if we don't see it forecast in a certain aspect elevation, and then maybe we develop our tour plan to go ski on that aspect elevation that the avalanche forecast or the avalanche hazard is not forecasted for, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be there. We need to go into the field and we need to continue to make observations verify that that we're not seeing it. and if we do see it hopefully we did our due diligence and our tour plan that we developed other options that we can choose a less exposed alternate route right and so again it's like in the past few days you would have seen persistent slab forecasted on that west aspect and so following the forecast with that in mind okay so maybe especially if you aren't looking at it every day Maybe if you are only able to get it out on a Saturday and a Sunday, don't just look at it on Saturday or Sunday. You should probably be looking at it. You should definitely be looking at it the week prior. What did I see? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday before that Saturday and Sunday. That way when Saturday comes up and maybe we see a forecast that shows moderate at all elevations and persistent slab on north through southeast near and above tree line that maybe the day before it was considerable near and above and it was actually persistent slab on all aspects and elevations right so it was only a day away mm -hmm. and it changed that's a pretty big change and so we need to do our best to maybe dissect the forecast a little bit more and always 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 understand that the forecast it's not going to be gold because there is a chance that you can still find a problem out there that is not forecasted for. I don't want to ramble here, but I got a quick story, you know, earlier this season, I, we actually had, I had some buddies who got caught in an avalanche on Democrat, you know, it's 14 year podcast. So they were on Democrat. They got caught on that like Southeast shoot off Democrat. One of the big reasons is that they were, they looked at the forecast. They saw green, green, green. So they saw low, low, low. And they, there was not an avalanche forecast on the roads, right? And so they see that, they look at the forecast, and what do you, you know, what would a lot of people think? Sweet, time to tee off, right? Green, 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 and there's no avalanche forecast, spring mindset. So they go into it with that spring mindset. I guess adding a little bit more flavor to it is that somebody skied it a few days prior, and they posted on social media. You guys may have even heard about this. So... Somebody skied it, they posted it on social media, they posted a video of it, and, they, and you know, somebody wrote down it. Um, and so somebody, so people see it, and they're like, cool, awesome, Democrat, go cool R, I can go ski right now, and it's, it's December, rad, let's go send this. And then two days later, maybe a day later, they look at the forecast, 
and that probably was confirming in their mind that it was good for them to ski because they saw green, 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 and there was no avalanche problem. So they go out there, they go ski. They're probably in that mindset of like, awesome, we're going to go ski this rad line in, in December. And all's going well, boot packing up Kular, not really seeing ins- signs of instability. But they kind of, you know, from what I spoke to them, had their guard was let down um, based on everything we just talked about. And they get to the top and they encounter some wind slab. They boot pack through it. They get to the top of the line and they drop down and they ski. And I think it was the first skier ski down and maybe the first five turns or so triggered a wind slab avalanche and one of the guys dog got caught luckily ran out his ski got ripped off uh, went down a thousand plus feet bounced off a rock wall and so i think that's just a great example of not <laughs> blindly or not just like only following the forecast right and so they saw green no forecast no problem it let their guard down and they got caught in avalanche whereas maybe if they would have continued to make observations they hopefully would have seen oh crap look we're getting high there's wind slab right here maybe we should turn around and maybe if they turned around right there they wouldn't have got caught right and so i think that's just a great case study of in line with of understanding the forecast and that it's a great tool but we want to continue to make observations we're in the field to verify or dismantle what the forecast well, I think that brings up an important point too. The, you know, two points that 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 made me think of. But the first of which is the the snowpack is a story of the whole season, and so just because it's the first day of a green doesn't mean it's a green light. Like you're you have to take into account everything, like you said, that's leading up prior. We have a month of persistent slab. Just because it goes away for a day doesn't mean it's not necessarily still there in certain spots and in. You know, for for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, I think the most important thing you can do is take an avalanche course with somebody like Justin. But I also it's a continual thing. And so I subscribe to the Colorado Avalanche Information Center's emails. And so like an old man reading the newspaper every morning, I get those emails and I read the forecast every single morning. So you you begin to stitch together that picture of the snowpack for the whole season. So you don't get up on Saturday and see a green and go, all right, that's a green light. The other thing that made me think of was kind of how social media plays into this. And Justin, I want to get your opinion on that as, as I think you're an admin of the backcountry Facebook group, which is almost 12,000 people now, surely that played into that event as well. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think I may have said Southeast, I think it was the Southwest or maybe just to clarify. The Emma shoots. Uh, yeah. We all, uh, Democrat. Yeah. Yep. Coincidentally, we all skied that last nice. year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so I think it's a huge factor, man. Like, it's um, social media is a big, a big player this this day and age, and it, it can help us and it can hurt us. And so I think from the from the side of of hurting us, just understanding that just because somebody skied a line doesn't first off mean it was a good decision, and second off doesn't mean that the conditions are going to be the same when you might want to ski it, right? Because it can change a line can change throughout the day and hours for, I guess, listeners, everybody out there, like just because again, you see something, somebody ski it, you do want to do everything as if maybe you didn't know that they had ski it, right? Do your homework, look at the, everything as far as snowpack conditions, weather conditions, um, does it all align? Does your group align to ski it? Um, so just being careful on that side. And then the other side of the coin, like, because there are so many users 
in the social media realm is that with that many people, we, the, if we all share what we're seeing out there as far as observations, we're going to have a much better understanding of what we're seeing in the snowpack, right? So like 11,000 people out in the field, if we all share with what we're seeing in the sense of snowpack, it's like, it's, it would it'd be like if we were out there 11,000 times, right? Like personally. So share what you see. Everything, anything and everything from surface conditions and snowpack conditions to weather conditions, like not only from us from a recreational user, but the forecasters now use that. And so they've been utilizing the social medias a lot, especially in the past couple of years. And so they started that hashtag COAVIOBS and then they have their, their own Instagram handle, um, Colorado Avalanche Information Center. And so the forecasters are looking at that stuff every day. And so again, the more that the community submits what they see, the better understanding that the forecasters are going to have, which then lends to a better forecast, which then lends to better decisions and tour plans that we're making. So it's all like just full, full circle, right? And so we're all family. We're all part of the backcountry family. And so I think if people understand that from the social media, of like, sweet, maybe you can post that rad powder shot that you got, but what else did you see out there? What did you see in terms of weather and snowpack? And I think if we kind of all subscribe to that, hopefully we all, you know, we're all working together to, to travel safely out in the backcountry. Very well said. And I think, uh, on, on the, staying on the topic of social media and and the power that eleven thousand users can have in helping to you know get that information out there so people can disseminate that and make their own decisions. And of course, obviously, you should go out and verify yourself, right? But out of eleven thousand people, there is no shortage of opinions, right? And um, how, what do you see? You know, I, I always. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a browser. I'm not much of a commenter. So I'll, I'll kind of see when people post and, and I'll like things just to say like, thanks for posting. Uh, occasionally I'll make a comment, but most of the time I'd like to read through and see what, how people are reacting to the information that's being posted. And it's, it's, there's just this huge wide array of just responses that there's the, you know, the people that keep want to keep everything to themselves because they don't want, they don't want new users finding their sweet spots. Or I guess they feel like maybe if I withhold information on aviobs in this area people will be less likely to show up and then there's kind of the other side that's like hey man i'm here i'm having fun everybody else can have fun too like as an admin how do you <laughs> what would you when you're looking at this and you're like how do you not i mean I, there's a lot of times i want to make comments and i just hold back and i'm like you know what I'm not getting in that one because it's you know as soon as you dip your your pen in that that, that ink man you're going to be writing for hours and and I've definitely read, uh, you know, read some of your responses and they're always really great and seem like they're really level-headed. So how, how is it being an admin in a group like that when you know that you're going to have to deal with a lot of the, the social media, the keyboard warriors and the, uh, you know, the old school versus the new school and, and all the different personalities that are coming out? That, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question and that's a tough one. So with that group in particular, so... I'm, I guess technical terms, I'm not an admin, I'm a moderator. So there are a couple, there are a handful of others who are kind of doing the majority of overseeing that website. And I'm glad they do because I could, because of exactly everything you just explained. 
there's been multiple times where I personally have typed up comments and then deleted them. It's tough. It really is. And it's because social media, it's like you're typing and it's, it's way different than you're just, if you're just talking to somebody, it's hard to portray your message. And if you think you portray your message correctly to somebody, it might be read differently by somebody else. And so it's, it's really tough. And I think that <laughs> from a commenting standpoint, just trying to stay more on the educational side of things, um, more than the opinions, the best as I, as I can when I'm trying to comment and not trying to let um, emotions get into it. Because it definitely, you know, has a few times and it's, it's hard. It really is. And so, again, the social media is tough and we've seen a lot of, a lot of social media bashing and, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate because it might prevent people from posting or submitting things that they may have, you know, prior to reading something like that. So the, the social media realm is tough and I really, I don't really know where to go from there besides maybe again, just posting things from, a, from an observational standpoint. And, and again, it's like you, you, you probably won't get that criticized even if you were skiing an avalanche train, if you just posted what you saw, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, that's true. what did you see in relation to snowpack and weather? I mean, who cares that you skied a 40 degree line <laughs> you know, in a considerable danger? Maybe don't post that. Just post what you saw conditions wise. Like <laughs> that is the big thing. And hopefully you wouldn't get criticized and you won't, you, the people, the, the claws won't come out from, <laughs> you know, the computer side of things though, so, but it's tough, you know, it really is. And especially like on that page in particular is 11,000 people. That's a lot of opinions, a lot of opinions. And the, and the other scary thing, I guess I'll just throw out quickly is that the, uh, with that many people and a lot of people commenting is you, you see a lot of unusual <laughs> comments because you don't really know, like people, Unex yeah. inexperienced users are putting some really weird like <laughs> completely 180 degree from the correct answer comments huh. um so you kind of have like these internet experts i guess you could say <laughs> but then people are seeing that and they're thinking that that is true because they're just reading it on the internet so we're starting to see a little bit more of that too as the you know especially this year i guess more than others you feel a responsibility to kind of step in and correct that or do you just kind of let it run its course <laughs> no pun intended i i no no i i i try and you know if it's like a really like like really blatant like an important piece it's like it's actually this way i personally will definitely you know comment on it well and i gotta tip my um, to you because i've i've seen you know for whatever reason, the, the, the emptiest can makes the loudest rattle. And there's some trolls I've seen that have just, for whatever reason, gone after like you, like when you skied that beautiful low angle powder line on black Thursday and people just, just came out and you have handled it with nothing, but just like grace and kindness. And, um, man, you, you're just such a powerful voice in the community and not only, um, just spit knowledge, but also just like from a really good standpoint of, you know, patience and grace. And um, I just wanted to give you kudos for that. Cause it's not easy. Cause I've seen some people come after you and try and start a heated dialogue and you've just always been awesome. So kudos to you for that. 
Well, no, I appreciate, appreciate that. And I, I do remember that post <laughs> in particular. And I really was just on that one. And I, you know, thinking about it, I was like, should I actually have posted something? And a lot of me thinks no. And a lot of me still <laughs> thinks, yes, it was actually good. Because the, the reason why I was trying to, the, that I posted, I was just trying to portray how, how important terrain is. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like avalanche triangle. Unstable snow, trigger, avalanche terrain what we what we control is the terrain right so like unstable snow is going to be with us all winter long in colorado why we go out and ski is because we control the terrain that we're putting ourselves into right so like even under and again it's i understand maybe certain people don't understand that quite yet but the main reason i was trying to get that post across is that even on an extreme day as long as you're really aware of the terrain that you're in, yeah. you can still go and ski. And it's like, I still feel like it was more dangerous for me to be driving on I-70 that day yeah, than totally. skiing in the terrain that, that me and my buddy were skiing in. So I, pre- I, yeah, I appreciate that, Jason. And I, it's, it's a tough one. Again, the social media realm, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's all or nothing, right? Yeah, it's a binary. Like, yes or no. <laughs> yeah. like, I think that's okay to some degree. But, you know, there is there is... Like you said, it's a triangle. So there's three things that you can control, not a, not just two. Um, I'm really curious as a, as a fellow Colorado native who loves the mountains, I'm, I'm kind of envious that you've made this your career. How did you get into guiding? What's kind of your story? No, definitely. So, yeah, so I grew up out east of Colorado Springs and my family didn't ski. I, I started snowboarding, I guess, when I was 11 was the first time I, I snowboarded at Ski Cooper. And so I went out, you know, a dozen or so times in high school when we got our own license and stuff, we would come up here, just um, me and my buddies. But then I went to CSU and as a sports medicine and then changed my major a bunch. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I was driving up here to Summit County to ski a bunch. And so I was like, sweet, I think uh, I'm going to drop out of CSU. This isn't really working out too well. And so I moved up here to Summit County and then I um, enrolled in the Colorado Mountain College and um, pursued a Colorado or an outdoor recreation leadership degree. And so that I growing up, you know, I didn't ski, but I was always outside. I grew up with horses. We're always camping, um, spent a lot of time up here in the Summit County and um, Lake County area um, in Leadville. And so, you know, to have that kind of outdoor background, I guess, growing up. And so I was like, that's, I just kind of felt like that was my calling. And so, again, I dropped out of CSU, went to CMC, went through Outdoor Rec, and I started river guiding um, that year and just kind of never turned back. And so that was about, I guess, 15 years ago. And so I started getting into the river guiding realm, knew that I always wanted to do snow. And so I was kind of already had that mindset a little bit beforehand. So I guess few years later started getting in the snow side of things and and then i guess maybe seven years now gotten to the avalanche education side of things yeah i guess i just never really turned back i kind of knew that the outdoor industry is where i wanted to be those those years that i wasn't doing anything in the winter i was working at a hotel doing like three to 11 and night audit shifts and just riding every day, doing everything I could to better myself to get to the point where I could guide. And then, 
started going down the AMGA track, which I still need to finish, but, and then worked for an outfitter in Vail for a few years. And, and then, um, I always knew that I wanted to start my own backcountry snowboard company. There really wasn't much out there yet. There were a few individuals, um, like Eric Layton was a big role model of mine. He was kind of the main guy, I guess, that spurred it for me. I saw him start, he started a splitboard guides international and then I was kind of picking his brain, like, hey, dude, how did you do that? And so I kind of developed my own backcountry snowboard curriculum and then started that with the outfitter I was working with in Vail. And then uh, things didn't end up working out with that outfitter. And then I um, ended up linking up with a guy here in Summit County who had some permits and uh, started Colorado Snowboard Guide that, around that time. And so I was able to dovetail off of his permits and so forth. And right around that same time is when he hired another gentleman to kind of revamp the guiding side of his permit. And so that's when Colorado Adventure Guides came around. And so me and this gentleman, Abe, kind of worked together to start that. And so I guess that was uh, five or six years ago now. And so we kind of, you know, started Colorado Adventure Guides right around then. It's been, it's been kind of jamming every year, more increasingly every year ever since. So it's been great and then we just picked up river permits actually last year we bought the permits that i trained on initially 15 years ago so now we own those river permits and so that was pretty cool for me because river was kind of my main jam and how i started getting into the guiding side of things and now we own those permits and so yeah that kind of led me to where i'm at now with, with Colorado adventure guides um I'm operations manager with the company and now working here full-time and we're, we're year-round, so winter we're doing our aviad, ski split, guiding, snowshoeing. Um, we have ice climbing, actually, now this year is new. And then in the summertime, we have rafting, mountain biking, rock climbing, mountaineering. And um, we do have some 14ers in our permits. So we have quandary grays and tories. And then we are actually working on some others right now as we speak. Awesome. Where do you ice climb? We have permits over on and then over uh, at Chalk Falls, which is in between um, Copper and Leadville. So because this is a 14er podcast, <clears throat> do you have any 14er ski descents or if so, which one's your favorite? So, yeah. So let's see here. I haven't done a whole lot. I've definitely been kind of more on the 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 you know any peaks around so, the area 13ers 12ers any good peak descents you've had sweet yeah i know so i mean from a 14er i guess to start off i still think one of my favorite 14ers is tories i'm not gonna lie it's just easy access and you have the multiple aspects to ski off of dead dogs was one of the first one or dead dog is one of the first lines or one of the earlier lines i skied in my career so that one always has a place in my heart. And then just the East face alone, um, Emperor tuning fork. So I think that's just a really cool peak because you have so many um, options to choose from. Again, beyond that from a 14-year, I think that Snake on Sneffels was really cool mm -hmm. just because you get to rappel off of the top of a 14-year into a, into a line. So that one is really sweet. Beyond that, again, I haven't done a whole lot of 14-years. And here in, in the Summit County area, I did spend a lot of time in, in the Gore range. 
so a lot of my, I guess, more favorite lines are probably in that range. And then locally, like 10 Mile Pacific Peak, that Norcular was probably one of the cooler lines in Summit County as well. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't fill in every year. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you've kind of subscribed overall, not not as a hard and fast rule, but to kind of the the low angle wiggles in the winter and then spring, you know, steeper stuff in the spring. How has your risk acceptance changed um, as a dad? Is that a, is that an okay <laughs> question to ask? Has it changed, stayed the same? Absolutely. It's, it's definitely changed. I mean, a quick example of that. I, um, I wanted to paraglide for a long time and then I <laughs> eventually did it. I, you know, it's a lot of money just to get into it. And so I eventually saved up. I got it. I got a wing, got training and I was super stoked on it. And I, and I was really looking forward to that for many years. And I eventually wanted to do some speed flying on my split board. And so Sweet. then the little man came around and <laughs> that was just one thing. I was like, example of like, I just had a weird feeling, man. Like I shouldn't do it anymore. It, it felt like I was being a bit selfish, you know, flying through the sky with just a piece of nylon over my head um, <laughs> when I got a little dude at home. So um, that I kind of put on the back burner. And that's just a quick example of risk tolerance changing right there. And I think from the ski mindset too, like in the past, I would seek out these windows in the winter to get into steeper terrain. Uh, and now I don't really anymore. It's like they might be there, but I'll wait a few months and um kind of guarantee that stability a little bit more now that i have that little guy um <laughs> looks like the two of you are getting out and having fun and making some turns and you've got another little shredder in the making i hope so man yeah he's good i uh he was on my back touring with me at eight months um you know i'm <laughs> trying trying to plant the seeds so i was doing some low angle tours with him on my backpack now he's too big for that now but he's been on his board <laughs> since about a year and a half Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, man, like, so it's in line with that, like, my goal is to be able to do this kind of stuff with him when he's my age. Nice. So I skied a lot of cool stuff already, I feel like. So <laughs> it's like, I want to see that stuff with him. So maybe that is what is kind of adding on to that risk tolerance. Like, yeah, I'll just wait. I'll wait so I can actually do the stuff with him and hopefully he wants to do it. And then if he doesn't want to do it, then sweet. I'll just be skiing it with touring partners again. Yeah. That's awesome. What, what do you think? What's the craziest thing that, that somebody's come to you for in a, in, a, in a guiding sense of, Hey, I want to go, you know, do triple black backflips off of, you know, quandary peak or what, what's what's the craziest thing that you've, you've had to maybe push back on or that you're like, Oh wow. You want to go do this. Like, or the craziest thing that you've seen when you're, when you're out guiding, probably more on like a, a one-to-one or taking a group up in the mountains. You know, I think the biggest one is, and I think it's just because people probably don't understand the snowpack that we have here in Colorado is, but they just try, they, uh, you know, for example, probably a couple weeks ago, someone sent us an email and saying, Hey, I want to go ski silver Kular on Friday and I want to go ski the North Kular on Quandry on Saturday. Can we make that work? <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> no, not probably not right now. <laughs> so we, we do we do see that. And I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. We, so we do our best to kind of 
set the set the expectations at the beginning so that from that first phone call even to when after they book us as guides contacting the client understanding you know a little bit about them where they're coming from what their experience level is what their goals are for the day what their objectives are for the day and we kind of set the tone there before we get out in the field um and so that does a pretty good job of mitigating a lot of that but a lot of it does just kind of come on the front end like exactly i mentioned like i want to go ski this rad line uh in the middle of winter here in colorado in three days from now uh, <laughs> and that's just <laughs> we can't do that here um <laughs> and we explain it to them and, and they understand it they do they do but I'd say that's probably the biggest one that we see. I was wondering, like, so I always pick Jason's brain about avalanche because he took both airy courses and I always pick his brain when we're doing 14ers. And it, the answer to every question I ask is it depends. Like I ask him like, what about North facing in February? And it <laughs> depends if it's February versus spring season. And like, what about this? And it's like, well, it depends if it's wet slab or persistent slab issues. So is there any hard, fast rules in avalanche safety that are, hard, fast rules, or is it all only, it depends. Justin's proud of those so that, that That's funny. <laughs> it, it is. Um, so I guess we'll put it this way. And I like to use this analogy a lot when I'm teaching. So let's, let's imagine we're looking at a, a TV screen, right? So we got our 70 inch computer screen. And so there is not one test. There's not one observation that we can make out there we can grab the remote we can push the power on and then we can see what's on that screen so it's unfortunate but there is not any kind of hard and fast there's no silver bullet that is going to tell us the stability in the snowpack it's collectively all of these pixels coming together then will show us what's showing on the tv screen right so we look at the forecast some pixels show up we look at some past observations some pixels show up we did our due diligence we did our tour plan some pixels show up. We get in the field, we dig a pit, one pixel shows up. Throw that cavity out there with snow <laughs> pits. And I'm a firm believer that we're never going to see 100% of those pixels. All right. We might get 98%, we might get 99%, but there is always going to be that little bit of uncertainty. And for most of us, that's enough to start stepping out into that steeper terrain. Um, but it's just important to understand there's always going to be a few of those pickles that don't show up. So I, I think that's a great, great una- analogy. Um, personally, it just really instills that there isn't any hard and fast rules. It's just all of these things collectively coming together to then show us what the big picture is. So basically it depends. It's a, it depends on the, how many pixels you get. It depends on the pixels. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so basically i guess no <laughs> did i beat around the bush too much on that one <laughs> what's what's your other favorite metaphors i feel like avalanche safety is all about like metaphors like the magazine slipping on the coffee table or the layered cake metaphor or the champagne cheese, glasses champagne glasses cheesecake metaphors or oh, yeah. a wet dough on a, on a countertop as far as uh the you know them all. Yeah. What's your, what's your, Dude, you got them. You got them all. I don't even know what I have to say now. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything. One, one uh, saying, I guess I use all the time is just teamwork makes a dream work. Huge, huge advocate of teamwork and communication. Yeah. I guess nothing really. So teamwork, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on touring alone? I know that's like, Ooh, like taboo and a cardinal sin on the backcountry page. I'd get flamed for saying that, but is there a time and a place for touring alone? 
I think so. I mean, I've definitely done it and I still will in the future. Most of that's going to be out of Avalanche train. Yeah. Um, you know, in a 14 year since here, soloed Kelso Ridge to go ski tuning fork. Would I do that, that again? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. I kind of think, yeah, um, but I'm accepting those risks. And, and then now, right, that was younger. I have a little kid at home now. So maybe that also has changed my risk tolerance a little bit, little bit but just accepting that risk, right? And if I'm going to go alone, I'm going to let people, it's going to be the the hazards are definitely going to align into it. I'm not going to go get anywhere near avalanche terrain by myself. Not that I, if there's unstable snow, not that I really would have with a team, but I guess just understanding those risks is, is the main thing. And so some people have a higher risk tolerance than others. Am I saying that you should never go out by yourself? Should I say that? Maybe. Yeah. Do I feel that way? I don't. Um, Cause I mean, I w- I'm guilty of it. I've done it myself. Um, but just understanding the risks involved. Am I going to go ski in an area where I'm not at self-service by myself? Yeah. That chance is probably pretty slim. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to, I better make sure I have the appropriate communication, the means of communication to call somebody if something were to happen. Um, but a quick example of that, right, is this that Trelease accident we had week or so ago. I don't know if you guys read about that one, but um, solo split border up on Trillies triggers the avalanche. He didn't have a beacon. He has an airbag, but he deployed his airbag and his airbag was still visible. His head was underneath the snow a foot or two. If he would have had a partner, he probably would have, there's a, probably a good chance he would be here today. Even with Even if there was people who had seen it, he probably would have still been here. Wow. Right. And so that's just a great example of like being by himself. Yeah. He shouldn't have been in that terrain, but being by himself probably was a big contributing factor um, after the avalanche happened that he perished. And so that's just, I know a great example of, you know, maybe not going out solo. Yeah. So just accepting those risks, I think is the, is the big thing. If you're going to go out by yourself, understand what is involved in you going out by yourself. And are you okay with accepting that risk is, is a big thing. So it's, it's a great question. And, and again, I could very easily say no, but I think the big one is just understand what you're getting yourself into if you do so. What's the first thing you'd tell people to invest in? Like if you had $600, do you invest in the airy class or do you invest in the beacon and the pole and the shovel and a friend <laughs> or, or is it better to take the class? <laughs> like if you had $600, what's the, what's your best bang on your buck for avalanche safety? I would say take the class. You're getting the education, a, a benefit to that class as well as you get to see pros and cons on different gear. So we see a lot of people coming into these classes that have their own gear and they're like, ah, oh, crap. I wish I had that. <laughs> and I wish I had that and I wish I didn't have this. All right. And like maybe they had just bought it before the course. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're there, I would, I would push the education side of things. Yeah, definitely. I did that. I showed up to my level one with an old tracker DTS and they were like, I, I like literally just bought it and they're like, Nope, sorry. Like they almost wouldn't let me take it. They're like, I mean, this will be good for practice, but you have to buy a new beacon. Yeah. yeah it was an old, are those two antenna beacons? And now we're on three antennas. Is they that- are. Yeah, yeah, so it's like yep. it's like totally outdated and kind of dangerous technology. And I had just bought it and they're like, nope, sorry. So I agree with Justin. I wish yeah. I had taken the class first, use their like order box or whatever, you know, nice ones they have, learn what's out there and then purchase it.
What about the new order box that's uh, got voice commands on it? What's what about that thing? <laughs> that's a great. So we actually, um, I was out on Vale Pass testing that beacon out a few weeks ago. It's pretty cool. Am I going to use it? Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> all right, so I caveat, I am an order box athlete. So all right. it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I got to be a little bit careful here, but I, I do like their beacon, but they have one that's voice activated and they have one that isn't. And so I'll probably go with the one that isn't. I thought it was really cool. Like, so you kind of can use them in conjunction with each other. So you don't want to just only listen to the voice. So you're looking at the screen and following the voice, but it was pretty cool. You know, it's like, start your signal search. You're, you know, you went too far, turn around, turn left, turn right. And then when you start getting into your fine search, get down onto your knees, right? So it kind of like prompts you through the process, which is pretty cool. And I think it will be very beneficial especially I think for the beginner users because it's like, you know, it's kind of like two working together. It's like some people really, maybe if they're following their beacon and they see the numbers getting bigger, they just get like super flustered. Whereas if they have somebody coaching them, it's like turn around. They're like, okay, cool. Now I need to turn around. And then now the numbers are getting smaller. So I think it's going to be beneficial to the beginner user for sure. And then, so they have two different ones. So they have the direct with the voice version and they have one with, with the non-voice version as well. Siri, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon Siri will be tied into it. Like, yeah. Right? Um, my last thing too was, was I like uh, in back to the Trillies thing and I, we don't want to dig too far into that, but I've always had this, you know, uneasy feeling about airbags. And I know that they're, they're great and they save lives. And, uh, but I'm almost one of those individuals that, that thinks like if I have to put an airbag on before I drop this line, should I be dropping the line? And I just wonder what, what is your take on the airbag? Do you think that that maybe puts out that parachute vibe a little too much with people? Or, um, I mean, I know it's a great tool to have if you can afford it. I know they're expensive as all get out. So not everybody can have one, but do you think that that contributes to somebody maybe making a decision on a line that maybe they wouldn't make if they didn't have that airbag? I, I think that's a great question. I think you hit on a few things pretty well there. They are an extra layer of armor. We just need to understand the limitations. So I'll just start with this. I would prefer, and I push a radio over an airbag pack all day, every day. All right. So I'm vegan shovel probe radio is kind of what I like to think of. All right. So beyond that, so airbag is an extra layer of armor. Understand the limitations. A big one of that is that mental mindset. Okay, and so for me personally, I'm right along there with you. Is that one of the main reasons why I haven't worn one is because I didn't want us to screw with my mental thought processes. And like we talked about earlier, our mind can hurt us as much as it can help us. Okay, and so for me, that is a big one. The other thing is just understanding when they're not going to work. Terrain traps, right? Trees, rocks, cliffs, gullies, creeks, crevasses. Any of those, an airbag isn't going to do a damn thing, right? And so in Colorado, for example, where are we skiing most of the winter? In trees, all right? And so just, again, understanding the limitations of these things. And then, again, the way these work is through that inverse segregation, all right? So that kind of Brazil nut theory, um, or some people like to use a cereal box theory. But anyway, they got a mason jar, right, filled with a bunch of different sized nuts. I got almonds, I got cashews, I got peanuts in there. Um, I got macadamia nuts. I shake it up, 
the larger nuts will rise to the top. But in order for that process to happen, I have to shake it up. So a small avalanche that doesn't have that turbulence buildup, that doesn't have that, not gonna, that process isn't gonna work. All right, so it's another example of the airbag not working. So again, just understanding the limitations of them. And it's been pretty crazy. I don't, I haven't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a lot of the fatalities that we've had in the country this year, they've deployed their airbags and they haven't done anything. So again, just understanding the limitations. And I'm the same thing. Like if I feel like, all right, I'm going to ski the slope. I'm a little apprehensive, but I got my airbag here. Shouldn't be skiing that slope. Right. And so just understanding that is, I think a huge, the huge takeaway. Oh, that's great. I thought you said you didn't have any metaphors. You just busted out. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Kind of a two-part question that I want to leave our guests with. Um, And don't want to put you on the spot. You can think about it for a second. But if you had the opportunity to put a message out there for, one, all of the new backcountry users this year, and two, all of the tenured backcountry users this year, what messages would you put out there? I think that one for me is kind of easy. And it, I think I may have even said it earlier in our conversations, but it's just respect. Hmm. Respect of mother nature, respect of the snowpack. There's always a time, there's always a place. Um, never let your guard down. Always be making observations out in the field. Um, make sure you have alternate options and don't ever be afraid to revert to that less exposed alternate option. There's always, again, a time and a place. The mountains will always be there. And so just, again, don't be afraid to turn around. I think that's a big one. Again, just respect. Respect the snowpack and respect Mother Nature. And that message um, for both experienced users and beginners across the board. Yeah, I would say so. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I guess even even from the, from the beginner user, maybe they don't even understand what respect is. So maybe that one is geared more towards the experienced user. If I wanted to give a message towards the inexperienced user, I would say get educated first and foremost. And that way they can understand what that actually means to respect the snowpack. You know, and by taking a formal avalanche education course, they're going to kind of learn about the snowpack and what that actually means. So what's your recommendation to people who can't spend their stimulus money on a $600 course is there what's the what's the kind of poor man's mm-hmm. do you download the ci the app and just read it every every day and keep track of the snowpack and read the discussions problems or what no that's a great question great great question and so i would say first and foremost get the book staying alive in avalanche terrain by Bruce oh. tremper <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah read read that guy front to back and read it every year you know, it actually lives, it's, it's my bathroom reader. So um, <laughs> I frequent that bad boy every day. Um, it's a great, it's a great book. And another one is Snow Sense. That's another good book to read as well. There's a lot of good useful resources out there you can use for free. Avalanche.ca, it's a Canadian avalanche website. They have a lot of great interactive website and, or interactive exercises you can use. Um, <laughs> the Know Before You Go website, similarly, has a lot of great interactive uh, website or inter- exercises, excuse me, you can use. There's a lot of free clinics that are being ran by outfitters all across the country. 
So for example, every week we are personally running a free backcountry ski split 101 and AVI awareness 101 clinics. Um, so you can attend those for free as well. And so I'd say that's kind of where you would start all that or all of those are free resources. For those people who are here in Colorado, Friends of Birth and Past is another great organization and they do free on snow courses. And so that right there, all of that's free. And so for people who don't have that money, you don't need it. So start there. So for those of our listeners who might be interested in taking a course with you or with Colorado Adventure Guides, um, one, where, where can they find you on social media? And two, where do they go to sign up for a course with you? Absolutely. So they can visit our website at www.coloradoadventureguides.com. They can give us a call at our office, 970-423-2295. Feel free to also reach out to me personally via email. And that's going to be justin at coloradoadventureguides.com. We are actually pretty filled up for our Avi Ed, which I'm sure most outfitters are awesome. um, throughout the rest of the season. And so we're running level ones through the end of March. We do have some spots available. And with COVID, um, it never hurts to get on a wait list because people do, you know, have to cancel even last minute sometimes. And so that would be, those are all the kind of outlets to reach us personally. Um, and then just the, we teach through area, the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. So you can also hop on their website and they have a whole list of different providers and um, courses that all those providers run as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure and uh, it's just been great to pick your brain and have you drop some wisdom on us. And I think it's something that everybody can take a little bit from whether you just hike, if you're a summer hiker dabbling in winter 14 or hiking, or you're an avid backcountry skier, uh, you've been doing it for years. This is all really good information. Um, if you are interested, I cannot recommend Justin enough as an instructor. So check out their website, give him a follow. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. Justin, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Justin. Appreciate you, man. We'll see you out there. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys. Definitely. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. All right, gents.